Welcome to the very first official episode of Wild Quincy. I'm your host, Chris Ketters, and uh, as always, my good buddy, Travis Hoffman. How are you doing, Travis? I'm doing pretty good, Chris. How about yourself? I'm not too bad. I'm excited that we get our first episode going. I'll be honest with you, Travis. I listened to our intro episode multiple times. I did, (laughs) too. Listening to it. I did, too. (laughs) Yeah. It was uh, good stuff, so I hope you all enjoy it. And I want to give a shout-out to uh, my buddy, Frankie, over at Lost Boys of Hannibal for throwing uh, our intro episode out as one of the uh, bonus episodes for their season. So everybody that was a Lost Boys fan that comes over has come over here to Wild Quincy. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, and we do have more uh, more season three of uh, Lost Boys coming up pretty soon, so be listening for that. But uh, we're not here for Lost Boys. We are here for Wild Quincy. And uh, Travis, uh, we have a lot to get to because today uh, we start our first official episode. Uh, we got some other stuff coming up, too. We got our first Patreon coming up pretty soon. We do. Uh, you know, it's exciting. I think we're going to have some pretty interesting kind of looks into uh, yesteryear and all these wild stories that happened in the past. And it should be fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun to uh, dig into some of the stuff. But I don't want to give away too much, but I can tell you right now that this is going to be the stuff in our Patreon episodes that is stuff that's not enough for us to do a full episode on. But uh, we'll cover everything from bank robberies to uh, a guy who lost his hat because it was windy one day. (laughs) Uh, So we'll cover all those areas. Um, Slow news day, in other words. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So make sure to check that out. Uh, again, check us out on Patreon. Just check out Wild Quincy. And uh, we appreciate the help because um, as of right now, this is this is a fun little adventure. Of course, we love Quincy and love talking about Quincy and the history. But uh, any anything to help us along the way uh, is definitely appreciated, especially with those Patreon uh, supporters. Absolutely. There's there's a lot of behind the scenes uh, researching and, and, and late nights of uh scouring <laughs> content so any any uh any bread in the tip jar so to speak would be uh greatly appreciated by by supporting us on patreon do you put bread in the tip jar <laughs> i don't know i was going for one analogy with the uh, bread and then it kind of it all kind of went sideways there, I, I, but, I had uh, a, we're gonna say yes i had a feeling like make it rye though i'm watching my weight <laughs> My doctor told me I'm not supposed to eat wheat bread anymore, so uh, stick with the the plain white (laughs) if you could. Uh, But uh, you mentioned it, uh, Travis, is that we are uh, obviously doing a lot of research, and you did a lot of research. And you asked me, because we start all of our episodes with the same thing, uh, a question of the day. And you asked me, uh, uh, Chris, you can do a question. I was like, no, no, Travis, you do the question of the day. And I think you had some hard times figuring it out, but you you finally figured something out for the question of the day. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, it was. It took me a while to land on something, but I I have done just that. And Chris, the question of the day, put your thinking cap on. I'm ready. How many public parking lots are there in downtown Quincy? So oh. mull that over for a while. I know, right? It sounds like, where could I possibly That's be That's a tough going? one. I like it's it. It's all relevant. It's relevant. We shall see in the end here. Stick around. So what's, one more time. Give me, the, give me the question one more time. How many public parking lots are there in downtown Quincy? Mm-hmm. All right, I'm. Cu- I'll have to think about that. That one's a t- it's always, tough one. It's always been a kind of a contentious issue with people complaining about uh, parking, and uh, you know, it, it might surprise you. Hey, at least there's not any meters in Quincy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a nightmare. Okay. Yeah, so so that's the question. We'll answer that question at the end of this episode. But before we get started, 
we get to tell you about uh, what this episode is all about. And we have uh, fun little titles for each one of our episodes. And this one is called That Time That School Had a Fire in Quincy. We'll have that coming up for you next here on Wild Quincy. It's time to get back to it. Hey, everybody, this is Quaid from 99.5 WCOY, and you're listening to Wild Quincy. Now, back to the show. This week's episode is uh, unfortunately not a, a super fun or exciting one. Uh, unfortunately, it has a little sorrow and heartbreak in it, but uh, it's something that needs to be talked about, and it's something that happened way back in the day in 1899 and uh, Travis we're going to talk about and I don't know you've done a lot of research on this uh, the St. Francis School Fire back in December 22nd of 1899 so get us started tell right. us about this fire yeah like you said Chris 1899 and you know this this is a family friendly show obviously but we we stick away we stay away from the profanity but as far as you know the trigger warning goes this might not be the best for the youngest of years just if you're driving in the car or something cuz it's it's horrible i mean what happened to these these girls is uh, just a horrible and you know incident and it might bring up questions you might not necessarily want to answer so just you know taking that into consideration um it is pretty pretty traumatic of an event that uh, little ears might not really understand or be capable of wanting to have conversations about that kind of thing so one now that that's out of the way uh yeah december 22nd 1899 chris let me paint a little bit of a picture for you about quincy in that time period all right a lot of quincyans are reading in the newspaper about how they were about to get better service on the wabash railroad so you know good things big big times on expansion in the railroad stern's men's clothing store was advertising smoking jackets from $3.50 to $8.50. A production of Jack and the Beanstalk, with a cast of no less than 50, was set to grace the stage at the Empire Theater that night. Quincians were busy scurrying around. You know, it was three days before Christmas, 1899, the big turnover to 1900, days away, trying to get those last-second Christmas presents. A lot was going on. But things were a little different where uh, St. Francis School is. The old St. Francis School is at the current location of of the St. Francis School today, which is 18th and College. Or at that point, it was called Vine Street. And that's right across. That's right across from like Quincy University and stuff like that, right? Correct. Directly to its east is Quincy University. Uh, you know, you know, Chris and I, we, we we had a conversation trying to establish exactly where the footprint was of the old school versus the current school, and it's a it's a little complicated because. There were seemed to be a series of buildings from old photos, and I, to mention old photos, I also want to encourage you guys to check out the blog at wildquincy.com. I have so much media there, imagery, that's going to be add so much more context to our conversation today. So hop on over there, lots of pictures. Um, it'll be good to have that thing handy when you're listening along and really follow along. But you'll see some old pictures of the school and the church, and that'll give you kind of a visual of what we're talking about. But it seems like the, the, the actual school at the time was significantly smaller, Chris. So hmm. I can't say that it was exactly dead center on where it is today. It seems like it might have shifted a little bit more to the, to uh, it might have been a little more to the east 
um, as it is currently. I know there's that parking lot there today, but it seems like from old photos there was always a little bit of empty area. So the jury's kind of out on that one. Haven't haven't gone down any architectural records. Too many other things <laughs> to look at right now. But it, on the third floor of the the old school, on the eastmost part of the school, was that's where the auditorium was, the theater. And you can also find a picture of that on the website. There was a cast of 16 students, and they were performing a dress rehearsal of a Christmas play, or a Christmas pageant, whatever you want to call it, depicting the birth of Christ. So the dress rehearsal was for a play, and the, exactly when that play's performance was is a little a little iffy historically. You know, this is 1899 reporting, so there's a lot of conflicting accounts of certain dates and you know how it is so much was lost in translation and they didn't have the modern means of email obviously to do a lot of fact checking or internet but it appears that uh, I came across a flyer for that show that puts it on December 26th as the actual night of the play that the students were rehearsing for so being a dress rehearsal this was a you know allegedly pretty well attended again a little bit of controversy in history over exactly who was in the audience and how many there were i've seen some numbers say there was as many as 500 people which looks like it was a pretty good sized auditorium i don't know if it could fit 500 but i assume a lot of those were children um being uh the time of day when it was and uh I assume probably a good amount of parents, maybe, too. It's a little hard to tell. Again, a little, little fuzzy, lost to the pages of history, so to speak. There were 16 students in the cast of this play, and a lot of them were dressed for their part. Among the costumes were lambs and then angels. Now, a group of girls were in a small dressing room, and this dressing room, the layout was a little strange, and it helped to see a picture because it kind of filled in a little bit of the blanks I had, because above the stage, there's actually a dressing room. And on a normal day, you know, in the time period, there, you know, there was electricity, they had kind of a globe, globe lighting system in this. But for whatever reason, it appears that the globe lighting was uh, out of commission for some, some reason. I, I can't really find out exactly what that reason was. So in place of that, they had a kind of a gas powered light essentially it, it seems like it was more of a temporary fix it was a cloudy day uh, apparently and that's why they needed a little extra light to prepare and see their costumes getting ready so imagine a room full of girls probably a little bit of chaos in itself and they're all dressed in these angels and lamb costumes and it's made of cotton batting which is extremely flammable it's it's a recipe for disaster and moments before 3 o'clock in the afternoon, that disaster happens. Suddenly, Margaret Werner got too close to the jet, the gas jet, and her hair caught on fire. And this costume just went up. It's, it's basically a flash fire, Chris. The fire jumped from one girl to another. Uh, you know, the auditorium was filled with students, you know, frantically reacting to this. The frightened girl, including Mary, who caught her hair on fire, rushed towards the others down the flight of stairs and just into a sea of chaos and other you know girls and students who were wearing the same similar type costumes with the same material and the fire just spread uh, so fast. Professor Frank Musholt was directing the play and was first to the dressing room stairway which was where people were flocking down from and he, he was met with a girl just completely engulfed in flames shrieking save us 
moments before he was surrounded by, you know, multiple girls all on fire with the fire just jumping every which way. Another girl, Mary Hickey, ran from the building, physically down the stairs, out of the building while on fire, leaving a trail of burning costume all the way to College Avenue, where she fell on the sidewalk in front of Gehring's Meat Market. Uh, Father Andrew, and forgive the pronunciation here, Butzkuben, Professor Frank Musholt, Sister Theatima, Sister Ludwiga, Sister Rudolph, Rud, excuse me, the little names are a little tough, Rudolfa, Sister Efren, and Janitor Gerald Ketters, rings a little close to home, Chris, all badly were burned in the efforts to rescue these screaming, frightened children. Um, most of those listed there, the people that were assisting, were able to help to a certain extent. Uh, but their, their wounds, they received a lot of uh, burns on their hands and whatnot. The majority of those people were able to recover from their burns. Sister Theotima, however, was not as fortunate. Um, she went in repeatedly to help save children. It was actually, I believe it was actually, she was in charge of the production. I don't know if she was the director. There was a little back and forth on who was actually a director of this, but she was heavily invested in it. And if you look at the pictures, obviously it's a closed-in area. I imagine smoke was filling up that room fast. Uh, I can't imagine the chaos that must have been ensuing Children just flocking about. Well, yeah. Let me. Wow, that was just a lot. I, I didn't want to jump Jeez. in because it was. It's, heavy. it's that's it's heavy. intense, um, and we haven't even gotten into even the rest of the stuff that goes on here. But uh, let me ask you a couple questions here, Travis. I, I'm looking at a picture right now because, um, like, like you said, you you post a bunch of these pictures onto uh, our wildquincy.com page. I'm looking at the theater right now. In if you look at the outside, first one of the first pictures you have on here is the picture of the outside of the of the school, and it's a three story building. It doesn't it doesn't look like it should support or have this big of an auditorium, and it is a huge auditorium. It's massive. Yeah, and this also, Chris. I mean, there was a lot of fire codes that hadn't been invented yet, so this was such a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and it looks like it's a vaulted ceiling, too. And, I mean, it makes sense it's on the third floor because it probably has an open ceiling. But uh, And just taking a look here, in case you don't get to it, it's pretty interesting because it almost, I, I would say it's not a balcony per se, but it's like a, a second tier that kind of connects to the to the, the front uh, section there. And the back tier is actually all wooden chairs. Uh, it's not like a, a theater you think of today. It's It's just wooden chairs that are sitting in the back. But this is a massive theater, and you said, Travis. So the the dressing rooms were above the the stage. Yeah, that always threw me. I didn't find this picture of the theater until near the end of my research, and so I was trying to visualize exactly how that would work. But I believe on each side of the stage, there's there's stairways, Chris. There's two doorways there, mm-hmm. and I assume that there's also stairways would be on the stage that would lead up to maybe like a small little area okay. that would be probably utilized for a lot of different theatrics, maybe things coming down for as far as set pieces go. It's hard to say, So, it, but uh, that's apparently... Yeah, let me ask you this work. real quick, too, is is you... So, two things here. So, first of all, did the fire, it sounds like it did not originate on the stage itself. It originated in the dressing rooms? That's right, yeah. It, it was... Uh, one of the girls got too close to the gas flame, and I, I'm, you know, it's tough because I couldn't find an exact picture of the type of, of light. At first, when you read the newspaper accounts, and us being so removed from that kind of lighting technology, 
Uh, it's hard to visualize because right. they talk like it's an open flame. And even in 1899, I can't imagine there would be an open flame. I think it was just a flame-powered probably globe with some kind of light that would obviously get extremely hot to the touch. So I don't think she came in contact with a direct flame, but something that was just so hot because of the direct flame lighting. And, you know, I, I think, too, that when I was imagining, but I know this isn't legitimate, like, you know, some some different garages and stuff. My brother has one, for example. It, 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 there's a like a forced blower. And, and there is a flame that is coming out at the end of that blower, but I, th- and that could that's a hundred and that's a hundred years ahead in the future. I don't think they're going to have that sort of blowing propane, yeah. you know, uh, type of heater in there. But I mean, something along those lines, especially from what it sounded like, what they were wearing, it would not take much at all. Now, the other question I did have for you, just to, to I want to make sure that we get this clear. So it was a dress rehearsal. Were they doing the dress rehearsal for the school? The, the students of the school at the it time? It sounds like it. Okay. It sounds like it. And and that's that's where I was a little confused as well. Because some reports say that, like I said, there were up to 500 people. And, you know, I it was a good, it was a decent-sized school. It was an early school in town. And a lot of pr- predominant families actually, you know, attended and their children attended. So who, who were these this audience was is a little iffy to me exactly give us a, give us a time I assume frame. a lot of them were students was it was it during mm-hmm. the daytime or was it in the evening that this happened it was 3 p.m minutes before 3 p.m so okay so around when school's getting out it, yeah i assume i i here's what i think happened i i assumed that maybe the dress rehearsal was taking place at the end of the school day there were some reports that said it was a dress rehearsal for a for an actual performance that evening as well. Mm. So there's a little confliction over exactly when it was. Okay. But for whatever reason, it was a pretty packed house, it seems like. Wow. It, so so really, I mean, again, it's so unfortunate. We're going to talk about what happened to the girls in a few minutes. But this could have been a lot worse if you had that many people in there. I mean, Absolutely. The, you could have had – this could have been the worst tragedy in the history of Quincy if, if the certain – I'd argue that it still is. Yeah. But, yeah, it could have been ten, tenfold. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a couple – podcasts i listen to and there's one of them i was just thinking about that there's been a few instances in in the united states where people that are they're in a crowded church in in the number one thing you do not say in a crowded church is fire you do not say fire in a church because what happens is that it becomes a stampede of people that are trying to get out and they end up killing each other as they go out and it's happened numerous times in the united states this is actually a fire happening at this time which i i mean if you want to go even a step further not only from the the idea of okay what if all these 500 people get trapped but then on the same side of that you have a fire and how lucky I mean, again, it's such an unfortunate circumstance, but how lucky are you that there's not 50, 100, 150, 250 people dead because they couldn't get out or because there was a major fire or you had trampling or deaths or things like that? I mean, it's so sad that what has happened, but man, this could have been so much worse. You know, what's really shocking, Chris, and this is a little uh, getting a little ahead of ourselves. But the actual fire, reports said that the actual fire, it was really more of a flash fire. It was said to be hmm. you know, happening and done in about 10 minutes. That was the entirety of the fire. It was about 10 minutes. Hmm. It did minimal damage to the actual uh, school itself, which you'll, is shocking here as I continue on to you know, what was to happen with the, the fate of the girls and the community. 
Yeah, well, well, let's let's continue on. I mean, this is just so fascinating. That, yeah, let's let's talk about what happens afterwards. Well, obviously, Quincy's a small town. Word quickly spread about what was happening. The number six firehouse was quickly on the scene. They actually had a bit of a holdup. I believe there was a a flat tire or some kind of accident on their way to Jeez. the actual event, which further set them back a little bit. Wasn't a significant uh, event to delay them, but at, to be realistic. The fire really wasn't something that was raging and out of control, so that didn't actually have a huge effect on the outcome of the fire, their little delay there. Police were there. They were attempting to barricade the entrance of the school to allow the firemen to get in there and do the work they could. But obviously, parents are rushing to the scene. The whole community is rushing to the scene. And I've got to think that 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 must be the the fear in your mind of knowing that Okay, you're probably seeing smoke coming from the building maybe in some capacity, but it probably wouldn't have been a huge amount of it. And people are saying fire, you're looking up, you're expecting to see like a raging fire on the roof, but there's not much evidence, I would think. And again, this is speculation on my part. But, you know, the fire happening so fast and doing such minimal damage, I can't imagine how much confusion was going on at the at the entryway here of these parents hearing about a fire, looking up, questioning what is going on here. You know, I don't see a fire. What's happening? You know, the firemen get there. They rush up. They had to go up three flights of stairs to get there. One fireman, Frank Holtman, rushing into the scene, one of the girls who had been terribly burned actually fell into his arms and her name was Bernadine Freund, and she, you know she fell into his arms, said her name, and said she was going to die. Oh, jeez! And I was like, "Wow, you know, Jesus, mm. it's it's crazy." Victims were taken to St. Mary's Hospital with just such horrific burns. Bandages were covering the victims. You know, parents were trying to identify these children that had been bandaged up. You couldn't really tell who was who. Many rushed, parent-wise, rushed to try to identify their children to the hospital, but the sad reality was their next destination was the morgue that they had you know, set up for these victims. Uh, one fireman recalled retrieving a burned body from the second floor landing, only to be flocked by screaming mothers trying to find out if that was their child. Mm. Um, you know, it goes on to say you know, how those memories haunted him for the rest of his life. I mean, this really is a horribly traumatic, just horrific to even imagine. You know, Carl Landrum was a big Quincy historian for a long time and did a couple articles about the fire. And even in those, one article particularly, he even kind of mentions that he's left out a lot of accounts because of how kind of traumatizing they were. And they are. They really are. It really hits you in the face of just the gravity of this situation. Uh, one, uh, well, the physicians, you know, that were trying to get there, the first person that got there took one look at the scene, saw the, the injuries of the survivors and, you know, just somberly predicted that, you know, nobody would live mm. if they were affected by this. And unfortunately he was right. Nearly half the physicians available in town all rushed to the scene. Most of them without even being summoned um, they were just, obviously Quincy, the whole community was just magnetically pulled there to see what they could do to help but the sad reality was there wasn't a lot anybody could do i mean the damage had been done the costumes were just so susceptible to the fire that like i said within 10 minutes i mean the fates were kind of sealed 
there was 12 girls that were in total that were killed, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they were uh, Coletta Menendorf, Mary Altoff, Irene Freiberg, Mary Wavering, Bernadine Freund, Mary Futer, Olivia Tempe, Josephine Bone, Wilhelmina Kottendorf, Margaret Warner, Mary Hickey, and Cecilia Vonderhaar. What were their, like, ages? Give me, like, got an age range? Yeah, they were, they were, I believe they were, all but one may have been in the second grade class. So you're looking age range right around, like, 8 to 10. Oh, wow. So they were relatively young. Now, now were any? Now we talked about the twelve girls. Were there any of them that were just injured that didn't end up dying? There were. There were a couple. I don't have their names in front of me, but their injuries were mostly burns and not not as terrible bad, uh, terribly bad. So they they ended up recovering. Speaking of injuries, uh, one of the people that was an important part of that we're going to talk about next, and I'm not going to say her name, full name. I'm just going to say Sister Mary. <laughs> you can tell her yeah, what the yeah. full name is. <laughs> sure, yeah. Sister Mary Theotima, if you'll remember, she was one of the sisters who uh, who helped so much in going in you know, repeatedly trying to save children. There's a couple kids that owe their life to her, essentially, for her repeated uh her repeated you know, efforts to save kids. Um, she's kind of an interesting figure. She was kind of a footnote in a lot of stories, and so I wanted to do a little more digging into her history and what happened to her after Quincy because I, I think there needs to be more information about her. So she was basically she was born in, in Canada. She was the eldest of six children. Her father was actually a, a drummer boy in the Civil War, as it turned out. It's interesting. They weren't really a religious family, but her grandfather was actually very religious. Her dad and her grandfather had a falling out when he went off to be a, a, in the Civil War. So basically, when he got back from the Civil War, he just moved away without saying anything. So his grand, his, his, his dad didn't know what happened to the family. Finds them a couple years later and discovers that they're essentially heathens, <laughs> you know, not being raised in any kind of religion. Very upset about that. One circumstance leads to another, and... and uh, Anna Detroyer, Sister Theotima's uh, given name, ends up growing up with her grandfather, and that's where she kind of gets interested in the church and decides that she wants to go go into the service of the church. So she does so, and one of her first places, actually I think it's her second place, she ends up up here in Quincy. Um, And she taught second grade. She was a beloved teacher. And when when she went in in that fire multiple times, it really... The, the fact that they had to amputate her hands, it limited what she could do as a second grade teacher. So nobody really knew what was going to happen. She ended up kind of being sent back to the mother house, which is kind of like the home base, so to speak, when if you're a sister. And that was in Milwaukee, which happened to be a hub for prosthetic limbs at the time. So what what they gave her there were more just kind of for appearance. It didn't have any functionality. Well, she's pretty heartbroken. She had the chance to actually stop being a sister and return to her family, but she decided, no, I think I'm going to you know, be used again by God. I'm going to stick this out. Why be a burden on my family? So she ends up you know, just asking repeatedly um, how she can be of service. And a position opens up in Canada, and I believe it was St. Anne in Ontario, Canada, where there was an orphanage that needed someone to kind of overlook the recess times of the kids and kind of be a general helper. So she petitioned to go there, ended up being able to go there, and was just overjoyed. Here she is back to return to you know a joy of her life, which is caring for these children. 
while she's there, a local blacksmith who may have been make, made farm like threshing equipment back in the time got wind of her situation with her hands and actually manufactured a set of hands that actually allowed Sister Theotima to to have some functionality again, where movements of her hands were amputated right below the the uh, the uh, what am I trying to say? The elbow, and so it had some movement with the elbow. It was basically like three metal fingers, essentially, that allowed her to like serve tea, serve coffee, basically be so much more self uh, reliable, rely on herself for her daily duties. She spent a lot of time there at the orphanage. Had a horrible issue, dental issue. She had to have surgery. Almost died. Later, had to go back to the mother house in Milwaukee for a while. It was close. Almost died. It was like a second brush with death. After that, she was able to return to the orphanage, which she loved. She wrote a few letters. She always kind of kept in touch with Quincy. Just checking in with the students. One particular student was was. Uh, there's constant, not constant, but several letters that the newspapers here in town allude to. And everybody was shocked at how great her handwriting was. Because with her new new artificial prosthetic hand, she was able to write letters again. And so it, it's just kind of this incredible story of redemption, of, uh, of finding another purpose, and not just calling it quits after such a tragic event in your life. When A fun little story, I, I got a hold of some information, a... One of, or I guess I think I, I I can't say what part of the family, but they knew her well and visited her. And in her older part of life, she ended up back in Wisconsin in a town called Elm Grove. And her job there was to oversee like the the milking cows, essentially, on like the farm <laughs> of this. You know, it's wild. You know, you see, you know, the sister with your prosthetic hands it was set up in the little part of the barn where you know after the cows were milked she would she would weigh the the pails of milk and do the the butter fat or whatever you know records keep all the records of that and had all you know all the cows had a name she would go and all oh, wow. affectionately uh you know refer to them and she would often lead them <laughs> out to pasture on nice warm days with her faithful dog of questionable breeding accompanying her out to the pasture and just these these fun little stories that really shows you what a jovial person she was and such a positive outlook in uh with such a horrible events that kind of you know started her her i will say career but her service and it's just such a, a story of redemption which i i really love to hear more about because when she left Quincy, she was seen as kind of a pitiful character. What's this woe? Is what is this person going to do? And it's such a turnaround. It, it's funny too. Uh, you, in today's world, I don't think you see very many sisters milking cows. I just don't. don't, think that's I, don't a thing. Techni- I don't know. I don't know. Technically, she milked them. There <laughs> she was, was laying a fun the milk little, anyway. <laughs> it was a quick little. If I can throw a quick little story, uh, the family funny. that would visit. It was a very strict. Um, organization at the time in the 30s no pictures exist because part of the vows were against posing in photos that didn't change to like 30 years later but as a joke they would say well here's some folding money for you and she would she they would say you can keep it if you can keep it from keep us from snatching it from your hand well her metal fingers were like a vice grip man so the joke <laughs> was that nobody could get the money out of her hand so they had a good time laughing about laughing oh, wow. about that so that wow. was just kind of a fun, a fun wow that's pretty cool there. um travis i know we're getting ready to wrap up here and 
we we've taught we we haven't really mentioned something important, and I, I decided that I'm going to leave this as a cliffhanger to get people over to our Patreon, and and that has to do with what happened to Sister Mary's hands. Oh yes, you, you mentioned that they were obviously amputated, but didn't mention what happened to them. So we're going to leave that in suspense. So if you want to learn out what what happened to her hands after the fact, go on to our Patreon and check that out, and you can um, learn the uh, the background on that. I, is that too mean, Travis? I, I'm, I'm trying not to be mean. But. No, there's <laughs> unfortunately there's just so much content we can't fit it all in here. So we'll 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 leave a little breadcrumb trail to our Patreon site. Uh, real quick, I want to thank a few people, Chris. Yeah, please. I want to thank uh, the the School Sisters of Notre Dame and the School Sisters of Notre Dame archivist Michelle Lewandowski, super helpful in all this research. The Quincy Public Library, Quincy Historic Newspaper Archive, the Quincy Area Historical Newspaper Archive, St. Francis Church School and uh, St. Francis School Principal Lori Shepard also was uh, able to help me out a little bit. So very, very grateful for all their their efforts. Yeah, thank you guys so much for helping us out. And Travis, uh, you did an awesome job. You did all the research on this one. I got to sit back and just uh, look pretty. So thank you for all. I got the... a little obsessed on this one, Chris. I know <laughs> it, we, it delayed our, it delayed our episode one coming out a little bit, but I think it was definitely worth it because I'm pretty sure that if you do a random search on Google in today's world, you're not going to find out much. Information information besides maybe a Y101 website page or, or very little information out there about what happened. And this is a very significant event. And again, 1899, it's the city of Quincy. You lose 12 children, which is just uh, just horrible. It could have been much, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, Absolutely. I guess, it could have been much worse than that. So again, a sad situation that you lose those 12 uh, girls, but a very important part of the history of uh, Quincy, Illinois. Is there anything else we got? Do we got a wrap? on that one as you well know i could very well go on for an hour <laughs> but i will not i'll let you guys catch up the rest on the patreon side well there you go that ladies and gentlemen is the history of the time there was a fire at a school let merkels give your softball or baseball team the winning edge with equipment by rawlings Merkels has a large selection of Rawlings gloves and protective equipment with style, sizes, and features to suit every league. For the home run edge, it's Rawlings bats and balls. Rawlings, on sale now at Merkels. Purchase before March 18th and get an extra 10% off. Merkels, 18th and Broadway, Quincy. The right choice. Merkels is the right choice. Merkel's is the right... Oh, wait. I'm sorry. I shouldn't sing. That's one thing I was told by my wife never to do was sing on a podcast, so I apologize. (laughs) It's so catchy. I I don't don't think you can be blamed. No. 1989. That's our retro ad for this episode. You remember them as Merkel's. They were around... Actually, most people probably don't know this. Merkel's was around for over 100 years in Quincy. They started in 1904, and they closed down shop in 2000. Uh, if you're not familiar with what Merkel's is, uh, it was a, a hardware store, a sporting goods store, yeah. everything that you can imagine. They had uh, just about everything. I, Walgreens is where kind of Merkel's was at, the Walgreens on 18th and Broadway. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, the Abbey in Quincy, it was right behind the Abbey, but it was a cool store. I, Travis, I know you got a story. Yeah. My yeah. story, real quick, uh, is that um, my dad used to go in there all the time to 
get his chainsaw sharpened. <laughs> That's my <laughs> Gotta story. have a sharp chainsaw, man. Crucial. And what's your? Yeah, you had a yeah. Story about um, no, back in the day, like second grade, third grade, fourth grade, played for the Merkel sponsored baseball or T-ball probably team. Though I think we were called the Merkel's Midgets, if memory serves. I don't think we ever mm. won a game. It was very, very sad. <laughs> it was a horrible experience. It's on a tee, Travis. How do you not win games? The ball is on a tee. <laughs> now that you say that, I think we played without the tee too. So maybe it was little league. Oh. I think we. I think Got- we graduated up into the uh, little league territory. I was actually a pitcher for a bit. I was a lefty. Oh, it's rare. Big time. I wasn't good. Big time. But I was a lefty. Well, anyway, Merkel's again, nineteen oh four to two thousand eight. Unfortunately, no longer around today and. Uh, there's some news stories out there, but the quote I got from uh, one of the Merkel's family members, which is kind of sad, he said, times are changing, and today everything is moving towards the big box stores. Um, and so that was kind of the end of, of Merkel's, which is unfortunately a case for a lot of small businesses uh, across the United States. But uh, uh, the so if you're uh, in Quincy, you're going to the Abbey, and you're in the parking lot, just uh, know that that used to be... Merkel's. <laughs> now it's a parking lot. So there you go. That is our retro ad for the day. Travis, it's always fun to find those. And we'll have many. Good find, Chris. Yeah, no, thanks. That, that, that's a fun part. I know a lot of people look forward to the uh, reminiscent part of this, this show. Yeah. I, there's. I'm not going to say it. There is one business that I'm super excited to find if I could ever find an ad for them because I have fond <laughs> memories of going into the store. And um, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hint. Today, in today's world, Texas Roadhouse and Bed Bath & Beyond are where the buildings of today are, of what oh, the building used to be. Yeah, I'm not going to exactly say anything more. About. Not going to say anything yep, more. Yep. But I'm trying to find an ad for that business. And I'll tell you what, if, if you know a business I'm talking about, go to our Facebook page and say something. Because uh, we'll uh, be interested to see if you remember what business was in that little section right there. Uh, back in the day. And speaking of that, we got our Facebook page, we got wildquincy.com, our Patreon, where we set our episodes. Uh, we'll have our first episode on Patreon coming up in um, pretty soon, probably the following next week. You'll probably see that pop up. So make sure to get over there and uh, become a Patreon supporter. And Travis, uh, we're wrapping things up for this episode. So we wrap up with the question of the day. What was that question again? Yeah, you bet. The question of the day How many public parking lots? Are there in downtown Quincy? You've had some time to think about it. Chris. I have, <clears throat> but I didn't think of what the answer possibly could be. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say not be googling over there. No, no, no googling. Um, I'm gonna say like eight. You're so close, Chris. It's nine. Nine. Okay. It's nine. That was a heck of a guess for coming in cold, not like last I've only know of one. Honestly, I was completely guessing. I only know of one, and that was one straight across from the WGEM building because that's the only one I've ever parked in. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, a lot of them kind of uh, are on the border, bordering a couple streets or blocks from Washington Park. But the reason that that is the question of the day, which I got quite the look from Chris when I first introduced the question of the day here, let me explain. There is a public parking lot that is located right on the northeast corner of 6th and Jersey. To put you there, that's kind of diagonal from where the library sits. Okay? You got a, got a visual there? Parking lot. It wasn't always a parking lot, obviously. Back in, what was it? Oh, 1871. It was the home of a young boy named Freddie Lieb, whose mysterious disappearance, and then later... 
alleged reappearance captured the curiosity of Quincy for years to come. It's going to be an interesting episode. It's maybe the definition of wild as far as history goes. It's got everything. Oh, boy. Now, if that is not the cliffhanger for episode two, I don't know what is. So we're going to end it right there. Thank you for listening to uh, episode one of Wild Quincy. And uh, we'll be back in a few weeks for the next episode. For Travis Hoppin, I'm Chris Ketters. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.